Great. Let's sit down, everyone. Um, Ramsey, thank you so much for that introduction. Let's pray, everyone. Father, the Apostle and Evangelist John reminds us that Jesus came out of his fullness to give us grace upon grace. We come as empty, empty people. Please fill us with your grace today as we walk through this passage. Please do good to us in the next few minutes, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever missed out on an opportunity in life? Have you ever had that feeling of looking back and saying, I wish I had done that differently? Please look with me at verse 10. Jesus says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now imagine if that was the end of the story. Imagine if life was like that. At some point in our life, we would have one opportunity to know God and to enjoy life forever. And if we missed it, we blew it. Well, praise God, life's not like that. Jesus gives us second chances, third chances, more chances over and over again. And this morning, let's fix our eyes on Jesus again. And let's drink in what he has to give to us. Let's not miss out. Let's walk with this woman. You may not be a Christian. I'm a visitor here. I don't know everyone. Um, If you are not a Christian, I'm so delighted you're here. I hope you get a really good look at Jesus and see that he has come to serve you and to give to you. Um, But many of us are followers of Jesus and um, following Jesus, we're probably aware sometimes it's easy for Jesus to get obscured from our worship and faith. And when Jesus gets obscured, doesn't our faith become like a burden? Doesn't it become like another brick in the backpack? So I can't do Y because I'm a Christian. I can't do this because I'm a Christian. I have to do that because I'm a Christian. And there's so much that can easily obscure Jesus from our worship. It might be work. It might be all those things that are on our to-do list. So many things that need to get done. Jesus kind of drops out of the picture. It might be worries, so many things out of our control, so many problems that don't have very obvious solutions. Or it might be wants, you know, something so big, it consumes our thoughts, a relationship, maybe a job, a family, a holiday. There's so many things that can obscure Jesus from our view. So for these next few minutes... Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and let him minister to us through this passage. Let him romance us back to himself and let him strengthen us for the coming week. Verse 10 tells us that God is fundamentally a giver and Jesus is the means by which that gift comes. So let's follow Jesus and we'll see God's gift, God's gift to restore lives and to reunite peoples. So first we'll restore lives. We'll we'll follow the Samaritan woman, that interaction with Jesus. Um, If you know the story, you know what's coming up. Uh, What have we seen so far? This Samaritan woman, she's on her own. It's the middle of the day when the sun is at its fiercest. It's beating down on the countryside and no one else is getting water at this time. 
So why is she there? Why is she on her own? Is she trying to avoid the crowd? Or has the crowd shunned her and doesn't want any part with her? And what do you think she thinks when she sees Jesus, this tired Jewish man sitting by the well? Or perhaps she thinks it doesn't matter. You know, he's a man, I'm a woman. He's a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Um, He'll probably do the British thing and pretend I'm not there, avoid eye contact. She'll just think, I'll get my water and be on my way. Well, what do you think her reaction is when Jesus breaks all the rules and actually engages her in a conversation? I mean, she doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know what his intentions are. What do you think might be her reaction? Do you think it's surprise? Probably. Maybe suspicion. Maybe fear. Well, watch and listen how Jesus takes command of this situation. When he's tired and thirsty and gradually leads this woman to see that he has come to give her something that she desperately needs, even though she probably couldn't describe what it actually is. So let's uh, pick up again at verse 10. Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? And by the way, the Greek makes it explicit. Her tone is, who do you think you are? Clearly, you're not greater than Jacob. Um, Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Now, you may have heard it said that as a general rule of thumb, a human being can live for three weeks without food, three days without water, and three minutes without oxygen. So Jesus' use of water here is an illustration. It works on so many levels. So on the one hand, definitely yes, it's picking up on Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Lord and streams of living water opening up in the wilderness and in human hearts. But on a universal human level, water reminds us that we are fundamentally needy creatures. I mean, all of us know we can't expect to live without water. No one says, I've had a drink of water today, I don't think I'll need any for the rest of my life now. And yet we kind of do think that about life, We kind of fall into thinking, oh, if only I had that job, then I'd be happy. Or if only I had a family, then I'll be okay. We know that midlife crises come about because, well, we don't get those things and we wonder if we ever will. Or worse, they come about when we have achieved all those things that we wanted and we still realize They don't satisfy. We're still thirsty. Jesus uses physical water to expose the things that we depend on instead of God. So listen to Jesus with this woman and put yourself in her shoes. What would Jesus say to you? The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. Now, what would he say to you or me? Go get your tax returns, maybe. 
go show me your internet history? What would he say? The woman says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So we're not told why the woman has had five husbands. We're not told who's to blame, who left who. But either way, her life is a tragic mess. And she must feel that every single day when she goes to get water on her own. Her life is not a life that anyone would choose. And now she feels compelled to to settle with a man who won't even marry her to get what little satisfaction, status and security she can with whatever's left of her life. She's trapped and it seems like there's no way out. Until Jesus comes along, sits by well and asks her for a glass of water so that he could give her the real thing that she's been searching for. The thing that Jesus knows that we're all searching for and thirsting for is life with God. Just as we were made to live with food, with water, with oxygen, God made us to live with himself. We can try and substitute God for other things, uh, husbands, careers, monies, thrills, all sorts of things, but they can't sustain us like God can. The gift God gives is himself. And we see here, God came to restore this woman's life. God wants us to turn, from, um, turn to him so that he can free us from slavery to the things that can't save us and can't satisfy us. This woman, she looked to men to give her status, security, satisfaction. And one by one, they let her down. She felt like she had to make more and more compromises to give more and more of herself only to get less and less back. And in the end, she's living with a man who won't even marry her. Jesus frees her from that by saying, give your life to me, come to me, and let me restore you back to life with God. Let's take a moment just now to take an audit of who or what is ruling our lives. For some of us maybe here, For some people, it is obvious. There's something painful, shameful that's ruling our life. It might be an addiction to pornography or to alcohol um, or to gambling. It might be an abusive relationship. It might be a lie that we need to keep on feeding because we're terrified it'll be exposed. But we all know there's more subtle things that can rule our life. It might be something that we want but can't have, and because we can't have it, it taints everything that we do. It taints the good things that we have, so we we end up feeling like, oh, if only I didn't have to give so much time to my family, I could go out and achieve what I really want. Or if only I didn't have to give out of myself over here, I could go over there and I'd be truly happy. And... I know the temptation is to keep those kind of thoughts inside, keep them in the dark, because I'm terrified that people will know the real me, and I'm terrified that I'd be exposed like this woman and have to and be shunned by my friends. Well, can I ask us to take a quick audit of what's running our life? And can I ask us to speak to another Christian about it? It might be your spouse, it might be someone in a home group or a small group Bible study, 
Um, it might be that no one obviously comes to mind, in which case can I ask you maybe um, make a phone call with someone on the pastoral team at Jasmine Parish Church. One way or another, can we all work together to make Jasmine Parish Church a place where we can help one another drink from the water that Jesus gives us and help one another resist the urge to go to waters that can't satisfy us? And can I ask us to do that together because the gift of God, it restores our life. It is the way to flourishing. But God wants to do us together because God's gift, well, first of all, it restores our lives. But secondly, it reunites peoples. So restoration of individuals and reunion of peoples, they're two sides of the same coin because when God saves us, he saves us into his family. So let's go back to the woman and Jesus. The woman moves the conversation from water and husbands to the division between her people and the Jews. So um, verse 19 the woman says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place that we must worship is in Jerusalem. The woman knows that worship brings us together, and we know that worship brings people together. Um, if we've been to St. James Park, or to Twickenham, or to a music festival, we know that the things we celebrate together unite us. And in our Old Testament reading, we saw that Jeroboam knew that which is why after he led a rebellion against um, God's people, uh, against the king of God's people, um, Rehoboam, he set up an alternative site of worship. And the people of Samaria are the offspring of Jeroboam's um, rebellion. So in Jesus' times, they were religious and political enemies. And after Jeroboam's rebellion, God sent a prophet... Uh, to condemn Jeroboam for his religious idolatry and leading the people astray. But now in this story, which is about a thousand years later, God has sent another prophet, the ultimate prophet, not to condemn, but this time to reunite the people who Jeroboam led away. So pick up at verse 21. Um, Jesus says, Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus' conversation with this woman, it's the beginning of reconciliation between peoples who had hated each other for centuries. And the basis of this reconciliation is the worship of the God who sought them out. So people aren't saved according to geography. They're not saved according to their culture. But they are saved according to the grace of the true God who calls us to live lives, in, um, who comes to live in us by his spirit. And if we want reconciliation with the true God, then we must have reconciliation with his people. Because otherwise it's not the true God we worship. It's only a God in our image who only saves people like us. 
And one implication for that is if we want to be part of churches and of communities that really celebrate diversity, that really love equality and inclusion, then they must be churches that are shaped by God's word. They must be churches that, that are like this woman who say, look, I know that the Messiah has come and he has explained everything to us. And we want to live that way. We want to walk that way, following the Messiah. If we want our children to grow up to be men and women who love people who are different to them and actually go out and build bridges instead of walls, then we must help them read God's word and help them see God's rich vision for all the nations and all the peoples made in God's image and his deep, deep love for them and help them understand that God is seeking worshippers from all countries, all peoples. We need to help one another understand our place in God's world and the work he's given us to do. So let's, for the last bit, see how Jesus teaches his disciples that in a really beautiful way. So verse 27, um, Jesus' disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. One preacher I heard summarized this bit this way. He said, the disciples are concerned about sandwiches, but Jesus is concerned about souls. If I can put it this way, have you ever looked forward to having a delicious meal? Maybe a delicious meal after a long day's work. When, when my brother and I returned from university, our mum would celebrate by cooking our favorite meal, which was steak, baked potatoes, creamy sauce, fried mushrooms, and tomatoes. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He gets as much pleasure and satisfaction and nourishment by doing his father's will and completing his work as you or I do from tucking into our favorite meal. From the beginning of eternity, Jesus was waiting to come to earth to seek and to save lost people. He was eagerly anticipating meeting this woman and bringing her to the father. And he wants his disciples to know that special joy that's his. He wants to... Jesus, he reorders our loves. He says... He drives out the disciples' love of sandwiches and replaces it with a greater love of seeing the Father's work completed and having a share in that. And he's saying to them, look, the time of waiting is over. The harvest is here now. You can know the special joy that I have 
from doing my Father's will and seeing his work completed. Just to manage our expectations, he's not saying that you can tell when people are going to become Christians as though they turn a different color. Instead, what he's saying is, look at everyone in light of the time we're living in now. So the time we live in now, the time the disciples lived in, is after Jesus has come. So now is the time that the Father is gathering in his people from all the nations all over the world. And as the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends his disciples out into the world to tell people the gospel that they might hear about the gift of God, receive it and have their lives restored and be reunited into God's people. And I thank God for the Christians who looked at me that way and started praying for me. Um, One family, they encouraged their children to pick one friend from school and start praying for them every time they met as a family to read the Bible and pray. Um, So one of those friends they prayed for was me. The only connection I had with that family was I caught the train with their son. Um, His parents encouraged him to look at the people in his life through the eyes that Jesus gives us. So I got the train with this boy for three years and God in his grace opened my eyes to believe the summer after I left school. Now, the postscript to that story is a few years after that, I met his sister. Now, she would have been about 13 years old when she started praying for me. And when I told her that I used to catch the train with her brother, her face lit up. She said, oh, it's you we were praying for. We prayed for you every day as a family. And now she admitted that some of her prayers weren't great. They were like, I'm tired, you know, Lord, please have mercy, amen. But her parents included her in the joy that Jesus has from doing his father's work and seeing his work brought to completion. And her joy was obvious when she met someone and saw one more step of the father's work being brought to completion. So one of the most inclusive things you can do as a Christian is to pick people that no one else will care about or even that people hate. So it might be the Taliban It might be the big issue salesman on the streets. It could be refugees who are coming into our country. It could be your next door neighbor that no one else cares about, but you just happen to live next to them. And start praying that they would receive the gift of God and have their lives restored and be reunited into God's people. Now, I'm sure that many of us here are actually doing that already. And Jesus' word to us is a word of encouragement. It's saying, you are sharing in a delight that I have. And it's a wonderful thing to share a delight with our Savior. But maybe for a few of us, it's something that we need to start or perhaps restart. Um, So perhaps this week, again, in our home groups or when we meet in small groups or around the dinner table as a family, we can think, how can we restart that tradition? Um, How can we pray to go go out amongst the people in our life with the eyes that Jesus gives us saying that the harvest is now come and to start praying that people might receive the gift of God? And maybe one, two, three individuals you can think of um, to start praying for regularly and meeting with other Christians to help you pray for them. That that you might know the joy that Jesus had when he did his father's work and that they might receive the gift of God. Um, through your prayers and through your witness in their life. Let's take a moment now, maybe some names come to mind, 
Maybe it's something to write down on a to-do list later today. Um, have a moment. I'll lead us in a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing our final song. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. Um, thank you so much for sending Jesus to give us the gift of God and to bring us back into relationship with you. We thank you so much that Jesus only asks us for things in order that he can give us better things. And we pray that this word that we've heard would nourish us for the rest of today and for the rest of this week. Help us live lives for his praise and glory. And may we have that special joy that was his doing your will and seeing your work completed. In Jesus' name, amen.